lock your mind, your dreams should be real, right? Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Go. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the great fortune of having Clive Davis with me today. Clive, how are you? I'm doing great, Jerome. Happy to be a part of the podcast. Happy to be here. And it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. So glad. You're down in Georgia, right? I am, just uh, in the northern suburb of Atlanta. Nice, nice. So if you would, do me a favor and let's jump into your history. Tell the listeners a little bit about what you've been working on and what your current focus is. Yeah, so b- background is, is really a 20-year corporate career, uh, starting out as a corporate transactional lawyer, uh, transitioning into a compliance career, and uh, over the last three years, uh, after having made the transition from corporate life uh, into more of an independent life, I've been 100% focused on real estate. And so uh, the way I describe it to friends and family in terms of, Clive, what have you been up to the last two, three years? The way I describe it is I basically developed a, what I call or refer to as a self-directed real estate MBA. And, and, and what's, that, what's that is comprised of is basically me uh, deciding to focus on real estate, take it to another level. While I've dabbled in real estate for 20 years, owned small investments in real estate for 20 years, um, I wasn't really doing it as a primary source of income or, or as something that was really a primary focus of mine. It's pretty much been peripheral for most of that time. And so for the last few years, uh, I've reversed that and made it my primary focus. And other things that I had been focused on have kind of taken a backseat to that. And I can talk more about that as we get into our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. You kind of gloss over that. You're an attorney. <laughs> so where, uh, where in the world did you work as an attorney? Yeah, so I started out my, uh, my first job was a a corporate transactional attorney at a Wall Street firm in New York City. Um, So came out of law school, uh, got started with the firm that I had interned with uh, after my first year, after my second year, actually, of law school. And I got started with them doing a range of things, kind of rotating through their organization and their program, uh, doing a little bit of general banking, doing a little bit of real estate, a little bit of M&A. Um, and then ultimately I uh, assigned to and became a corporate uh, capital markets attorney, doing a little bit of debt and uh, equity offerings for uh, essentially large companies, Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies, and uh, a few of the investment banks on Wall Street. Wow. So why would you ever leave a high paying opportunity like that and go do real estate and slum with folks like me? 
Yeah, so the, the, uh, um, I don't think I'm unique in that regard. I think most folks who are going into big law firms, uh, white shoe law firms uh, like I did, um, most of them know that the career trajectory, if you don't plan on becoming a partner in that type of setting, um, your career trajectory is generally going to be four, five years, plus or minus. And so I would say early on, I was looking for an exit, um, knowing that that type of lifestyle was not going to be conducive to the, the family um, that I was trying to, to grow. Um, at the time uh, I started, it was just me and my uh, wife. And, um, you know, as the children started to come, um, you're looking for a way to set up a lifestyle that's going to make sure that your family um, is the thing that's most prioritized and that you're able to be there in the way that you want to be there. So for me, going into, a, going into the firm, while it was certainly a lucrative situation, um, I recall, funny story is I recall the summer um, that I worked at this firm, I recall making note of the fact that income-wise, um, I was making more than my father at the time had made at any point in his life. Um, and for most of my life, he worked, you know, 16 hours, two eight-hour shifts. And uh, he may have made a maximum of something like $60,000 in a year. And that was a good year. So for me, um, seeing that, you know, as a junior lawyer, um, not even a full-fledged lawyer at that time, I hadn't passed the bar. Um, you know, I was already outpacing him in terms of, of, of income. And so for me, um, that, that, was, that was big. Um, that, that was definitely big for me. So were you first generation college grad in your family? Absolutely. And, and so I, I have this, um, I have this once EOF, always EOF. I'm not sure if you can see that, uh -huh. um, but I'm, I'm a proud uh, first generation college grad. Um, Educational Opportunity Fund is what EOF stands for. And um, yeah, so I was the first to go off to college. Um, Graduated high school, went off to college, and um, went to Rutgers University. I'm a proud alum of Rutgers University. And um, yeah, so college was not something that I saw others in my family do and I sought to replicate. I was really um, setting out and, and blazing a new trail in that regard. And, and, you know, my mom maybe had a third or fourth grade education. My, my father wasn't able to go to high school because at the time in his situation, you needed to have money um, or you needed to come from a family that had money in order for that to be a reality. So I don't come from academia or, or an example where um, education was just a given. Um, so I'm very, very proud of the fact that um, I kind of blazed those trails. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a beautiful thing to see my children now kind of um, building on the legacy that, that I've kind of set out for them. And, and they're doing things um, that I could, could only dream of um, and couldn't imagine having done myself at their ages. Now, what's really awesome is you said, you know, I'm making this money, but I wanted to keep the first thing the first thing, and that's family. What about your journey made you realize that, hey, I need to focus on this? Because, I mean, the drive, you saw how hard your dad was working to make whatever he was making a year. You saw you were able to go ahead and replicate that 
very early in your career. But, you know, sometimes we get lost in the sauce and all we want to do is figure out how we can make more and more and more money to prove that we've been successful and kind of, uh, I guess, undervalue the impact of having time with our children. And so, you know, as a father, what, and as a husband, what is about that, you know, just kind of bubbled up and made us say, hey, I need to make a shift. Yeah, so very early on um, uh, in that setting that I was in, I I was surrounded by individuals who were, by any measure, would be considered to be very successful individuals in terms of what they had accomplished in their career, um, what they had amassed in terms of net worth and things of that nature. Um, But I would say that many of them were on marriage number two, marriage number three, uh, many of them were in the office, uh, you know, early morning hours and in the office uh, late evening hours, um, despite their success and, and material wealth. And so for me, I, um, <laughs> I looked at that very early on and said, I don't want to be that. That's not who I want to be. Um, and if I even look back earlier in my, my career and as I was kind of charting my course, um, when I went off to law school, I didn't necessarily plan on being a traditional lawyer. Um, I always thought of myself as being an entrepreneur. I had no idea kind of where that would be. Um, but I had always heard that, you know, if you go get a law degree, you'll be able to leverage that and use that in many different areas. Um, so even as you're trying to figure out what is it that you ultimately want to do, Um, a law degree is not a bad thing to have. I knew that law was something that I had a strong interest in. And um, for me, again, it was a a good kind of fallback position as I ultimately figured out what I wanted to do. Um, I didn't necessarily plan on having six figures in debt uh, when I left law school. And that kind of influenced one of the opportunities that I ultimately found myself um, steering towards. Um, so that, that's part of the story. But again, er, early on, early in my career, I knew that um, that's not what I wanted to be or who I wanted to be. Um, uh, and, and for me, freedom and independence has always been a big thing. So freedom and independence without the ability to, to leverage, leverage it in a way um, that makes most sense to you really isn't freedom and independence. So I, I always been looking for what's the off-ramp to be able to do what ultimately I want to do. The challenge is, is that you you fall into a comfort zone. Uh, You know, income and compensation becomes more rewarding over time. The longer you're in, the deeper you're in, um, it becomes harder and harder to break away. Um, That's really the, 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 the big challenge. Yeah, those golden handcuffs. So when you decided to walk away from corporate, um, I call myself a corporate America dropout. So uh, I'm in the same shoes. Was there something that pulled you back? Are you like, man, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Maybe I should go back to that more comfortable space. Um, There's always a temptation to um, return to your comfort zone. Uh, Whenever you leave a comfort zone, the, the most natural thing that you can do is, is return to the known because that's safe. And so for me, as I made the, after doing 20 years in corporate life, while, you know, that always had its challenges, um, 
I, at the end of that 20-year run, felt that I was in a very comfortable place um, and wasn't necessarily being challenged in the way that I needed to in order to continue to grow. And I think the, the, the best way for you to, to, to grow is to kind of venture out of that comfort zone into areas that are a little scary, but are going to force you to um, you know, work on muscles, develop muscles that you haven't necessarily had to use. Um, and, um, and, and that's, that's scary. Um, but I was, I was very purposeful in, in kind of making my exit and I knew why I was making my exit. Um, and I think I had mentioned to you at the time, I had a lot going on in my family personally um, I had my eldest who was probably six months or so away from heading off to college, um, Rutgers University, by the way. Um, so um, I definitely was getting to a point where I'm like, okay, one of my, one of the, the, the birds is about to leave the nest. Um, so I really want to maximize the time that I have with her before she heads off into the, the, the outer world. Um, my mom at the time was very ill and down in Florida, and um, frankly, I was really not happy with the amount of time that I was spending with her physically in person, um, not FaceTime, not, not on the phone, not, not any of that, but actually physical time that I was spending with her. And, and um, you know, I was regretting the fact that I was seeing her once or twice a year in person, um, and, and that for me, uh, there was just a realization that, that that wasn't good enough. So despite you know, the, the financial contribution that I, I, I was making to, to her and my father in that household, um, there's nothing like being able to either get on a plane or, or get in the car and, and, and go, go see your people when you need to go see them and not have to explain to anyone, not have to get permission, um, but to just be able to do that at your choosing. So that's part of the independence that I talked about. And so for me, I said, okay, now I've, I've made the decision to walk away. Um, I have this time, I have this opportunity, how best can I use that, that time? And so I decided, you know, I've done real estate on the side for some time. Um, I think I wanna do this in a bigger way. What better way for me to um, explore whether or not I truly have that interest, but to go buy an apartment building, uh, go buy an apartment building in the community where my parents live down in Cape Coral, Florida. That's exactly what I did. And, um, you know, I was able to spend probably two or, two or three weeks out of a month down there uh, going back and forth between Atlanta and, and Florida. And, um, you know, it was the best decision I made because, um, unfortunately, my, my mom ended up passing in July of 2017. And the six or seven months before she passed, I spent more time with her during that period of time than I had in the six or seven years prior. So it, it, it worked out. Obviously, I didn't know exactly how things were going to play out, but um, I felt very vindicated. Uh, in the decision I had made, um, you know, at the end of 2016. And um, yeah, so that's exactly what I did. I went, I uh, started looking for an apartment building. I ended up finding something. 
um, which required renovation of units, which required, unfortunately, an, an eviction, um, you know, required me to be very hands-on, um, self-managed property. Um, and so basically I would be, I was that small child again, living with my parents for the time that I was there while I was trying to manage that and also helping out my father and my sister with my mom at the time. So a lot was going on, um, but I had the luxury of, of being fortunate enough to, to, to be there and kind of dictate what was going on and what was happening as opposed to things just happening to me. What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. It seems like we always find some clarity in crisis. It's like we realize what's really important and, you know, you get the opportunity to really hone in on that. Versus all the stuff that we get distracted with when, you know, everything's going well. And I guess we have that luxury of exploring stuff that may not actually be driving towards the overarching goal that we have. So I'm glad you actually had the courage to do that because there's so many people who, you know, wouldn't be willing to do that type of things, feel like the sacrifice is too great and whatever else they use to rationalize or justify them deciding to, you know, exercise I guess, selfish desires. So I got introduced to you or connected with you through John Kasman. And he said, have you heard about Clive Davis's Facebook group? I was like, I don't know anything about it. And he was like, you're missing out. And so do me a favor and talk a little bit about the Facebook community that you've created and kind of the mission that its creation is furthering for you. Yeah, so the African American Multifamily Investor Network is something that uh, I had I had not intended to to start. Um, I went to I don't even recall which multifamily conference I had attended, um, but at that conference, like we do, we 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 network, we meet other individuals, and somehow someone had started an email chain, an email group following one of those meetings and said, hey, um, and this happened to be all African-American multifamily investors, folks who are interested in real estate, who said, we, um, we need to stay connected. Um, we need to um, continue our communications after this event. And um, someone said, you know, we need to start a group or something. Um, find a way for us to, to stay uh, in, in contact with one another. And so I, I took it upon myself to say, okay, this email chain is nice, but it's, it's, it's hella cumbersome. Um, we, we need a, a, a more formal platform for us to be able to communicate, come together and network and share with one another resources, ideas, inspiration. Um, one, one of the things that I, I've, and one of my motivations for starting the group was that I want to see more African Americans in the multifamily space um, in all different areas of the multifamily space. And there's many areas that you can get into. You don't just have to be an owner. Um, there, are, there are brokers, there are, there are agents, uh, there are appraisers, you name it. 
uh, there's, there's opportunities for representation throughout the industry. And um, unfortunately, I haven't seen an, what I think is enough of us. Um, I don't think the representation has been what it can be or should be. And so it was really um, set up this safe space, if you will. There's many groups on Facebook and everywhere else. Um, and, and I'm a member of many of these other groups, probably a couple dozen groups, uh, all of them talking about multifamily, um, but none of them, uh, and there may be others that have started since we started in August, but none of them that were focused on this, this niche group, um, you know, African-Americans who have a passion and interest for multifamily. represented um in the same way every other group is represented so for me it was just important to create that forum and uh just make it available to folks who have an interest so we haven't um you know we haven't sacrificed uh you know size it's it's really an intimate size i think we, right now we have probably a couple hundred members and um you know we haven't made what i think is the mistake of trying to you know, get to a thousand or five thousand just for the sake of getting to a thousand or five thousand. The folks that are on there are truly folks who are doing things, who are interested in multifamily specifically, um, not single family flips, um, you know, not wholesaling or what have you. That these folks are either they're investing passively uh, their money in multifamily deals and opportunities, either they're uh, they're a lender or they're with a lender lending to multifamily syndicators and operators. Um, so everyone that's there is, is someone who has a true genuine interest and it's not just, um, you know, one other group that they, they, they're a member of. Nice. So you, you've made some transition and you're making progress towards your goal of, you know, growing your multifamily portfolio you're building a community of folks that you can tap on to, you know, increase the representation of African Americans in particular in the space. Uh, what are you most grateful for on this side of your career? What am I most grateful for? Um, for me, I think it's, 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 for me, most things start with family. So, so I, I'm, I'm most grateful for the family that I have built with my wife. Um, you know, we have, we have four, four children, um, the, the oldest ra ranging in age from 20 to nine. Uh, and so um, they teach me something new every day. Uh, even in this, this craziness of the coronavirus, they're teaching me something on a daily basis. Um, my oldest child is actually uh, in, in an apartment in France right now, um, and we're making arrangements for her to uh, return home in the next few days. Um, and, um, you know, she's teaching me something on a daily basis too. So for me, um, when I think of gratitude, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've had along the way that have put me in the position where I am now. Um, and even though I would say that um, I didn't necessarily 
plan on becoming a corporate lawyer, um, but for those moves that I made uh, and the opportunities that were opened up for me, I wouldn't be sitting where I am today. But um, yeah, I mean, when I think of gratitude, I just, I'm grateful to have the family and be surrounded by the family that I have, um, you know, my immediate family and then, then my broader family that um, supports me, roots for me, and is a cheerleader for my success. So that, that's what I would respond with. What dream are you most focused on catching next? Um, for me, I'm, 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 and this is a part of my decision in walking away. And when I mentioned kind of children teaching you something on a daily basis, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do uh, for my children, and, and I've been fortunate enough to be able to do it for my eldest, was I wanted their decisions not to be dictated by financial constraints. And so, you know, I worked all through college. And so I was, I was in the cafeteria um, at Rutgers University serving meals to other students. Um, that, that was, you know, for my entire time, you know, I, I had to work uh, to supplement the student loans, the parent loans, um, and other loans in order to, to get through college. So very early on, I made a decision that I wanted to put my children in a position where they would not graduate from uh, school with a ton of debt that was going to dictate, you know, what their opportunities were. And so I've been able to do that with my daughter, and um, hopefully I'll be blessed to be able to do that with the, the other children. But it's really been about setting them up um, for freedom and independence that, that I wanted. And I want them to have an earlier shot at it that, than I necessarily did. I don't necessarily want them to do 20 years before they pivot to what they really want to do. So I've been instilling in them from, from a very early age that they can do whatever it is that they want to do. And beyond just saying that, I'm trying to remove kind of the limitations that may prove me to be a liar. So, so that, that's what I've really been doing. But the other thing that I've also been trying to do is not to just preach to them or tell them you should do this or you should do that, but then not do it myself. And so, um, you know, I've always said, you know, do, do what it is that you're, you're passionate about, do what it is that interests you. And, you know, I looked at it at a certain point and I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm successful in terms of, you know, what I've been able to accomplish in my, my professional career, but am I doing something that I'm truly passionate about and brings me joy and all of those things? And so um, if I'm honest, my, honest with myself, I, I, I wasn't doing that for, for a chunk of time. And so that's not what I wanted to model for them. So I really, this, this last three years or so, I've been in a position where I am modeling the kind of independence and risk taking and venturing out of your comfort zone. All of that I've been able to model for them and they see that on a daily basis in the stuff that I'm doing. And so we had a, my, my daughter, my eldest had, a, had an important decision she had to make. So she's in her junior year at school the first semester, so she's, she's doing a, a full year abroad. So the first semester she lived in Valencia, Spain. 
And so uh, she was coming to the end of that first semester and pretty much all the other students in the program were gonna be returning home to uh, New Jersey or wherever they're from. And, and uh, they were only doing one semester. So she had the opportunity to do a full year in Valencia, Spain, or to pivot and go to France and do a totally different program. Now she's, she's fluent in Spanish. Uh, she doesn't speak any French. Um, so uh, she was faced with the decision of, do I go do something which is really the unknown for me? Uh, I've never been to, to France. I don't speak the language. Um, it's gonna be a whole new program. Or do I stay in the comfort zone of Valencia, Spain? I've been here a semester already. Basically all I need to do is just extend that for another semester. So, you know, we sat down and we did a pros and cons list. And basically at the end of the day, I blew up her pros and cons list and I just said, look, the reason that you're even, um, you know, um, doubtful about whether or not you should go to France is because you're scared. It, it, you, don't wanna, you don't wanna leave your comfort zone that you're now in and you need to leave your comfort zone. And so we had a, we had a really good discussion. My daughter, my, my, my wife uh, and I, we had a really good discussion around that. And she, said, she came back to me and said, you know what, Dad, you're absolutely right. Um, and she ended up going to France. That's the, that's the short story. Uh, she ended up getting her own apartment in a country. She doesn't speak the language. Uh, she didn't go the dorm route. She went her own apartment. And um, she had to find an apartment, negotiate a lease, which I helped her with. All of these things, again, outside of her comfort zone. And so I didn't feel like a hypocrite in telling her, look, you've got to get out of your comfort zone because <laughs> that's what I had been living for the last three years. Um, and so, again, in that whole experience, she's teaching me things even as I'm trying to, you know, drop, drop pearls of wisdom uh, to her. That's beautiful right there. Uh, it's something about daughters, man. They're so special. They pull out the best in dads. Um, I was like, she's doing that for you for sure. As we wrap up, what's the one thing you want people to take away from this talk? I think I know what it is, but I'll, I'll be quiet and let you do your thing. Yeah, so especially given the times that we're living in now, I would say that um, th there really isn't any do-over. Um, like you don't have a second or a third life to, to go back and to the best of my knowledge, you don't have a second or third life to go back and, and do it the way that you um, ideally would like to do it. So you've got you've to do it with the one life that you have. And so for me, it's all about taking chances, um, not being afraid to venture outside of your comfort zone. Um, that's, that's where the real reward is, outside your comfort zone. Um, and if you're not venturing outside of your comfort zone, you're going to stagnate and, and, and there's no growth in stagnation. So you, you, you've got to be prepared to take risks and, um, and um, just believe in yourself that, that um, you're enough. And, and uh, that's the best advice I would give anyone. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care what, what career you're in. Um, if you have an inkling that there may be another calling for you, uh, you got to go pursue it. Wow. Go pursue. Seeking ye shall find. So I, I can't hang up without asking, what's the Innocence Project? I've been staring at it the whole time we've been on the call. 
Yeah, so the, the Innocence Project is it's a phenomenal organization that is steadfastly doing some really, really good work in releasing people who have been serving uh, many years, decades, 20, 30 years in some cases, uh, people who have been wrongfully convicted um, for a crime that they did not commit, um, who have been denied uh, DNA evidence or, or uh, denied um, competent representation, which ultimately led to their incarceration. And these individuals, uh, after, like I said, many years, 10, 20, 30 years, have been freed uh, in hundreds of cases. I, I think in the Innocence Project has freed probably, um, don't quote me on the numbers, I, I'd encourage folks to go to the website and check them out. They're a great organization. Um, you know, I, I buy their paraphernalia, I donate to them. They do, just do some phenomenal work in releasing people who, again, are innocent. Um, it's just a great organization. There's just a movie that just came out about that, right? Um, Absolutely. Michael B. Jordan or something. That's awesome right there. So if folks want to connect with you, Clive, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, there, there are other Clive Davises, but this is the one you need to connect with. Um, but I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, they can connect with me. Clive Davis at hotmail.com uh, is a good email address for me. Uh, I'm easy to find and, um, you know, you can connect with me and I'd love to set up an opportunity to chat with folks. I'm another area that I'm, I'm, I'm doing much better today than I was three, four years ago is I'm, I'm really um, networking. I didn't necessarily respect networking um, as much as I do today. And so that's something that I'm doing a much better job of. So I, I love having conversations with folks and, and just learning about their journeys and sharing my journey and just collaborating and, and, and genuinely networking. Nice. So guys, if you made it to this part of the podcast, you really enjoy what Clive had to share. So do us a favor, share it with a friend, give us a written review, like it, and until the next time, your dreams should be real. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Clive. Appreciate you, Jerome. Bye. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.